0: I speak to you in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Well, good morning and God bless you all on this 4th of July weekend. It is certainly good uh, to be here with all of you. Um, And today as we are joining the two services together, the family table and the nave service, it's good to see so many of you here and have many of you joining us online as well. And today is a good day for all sorts of reasons, Um, one of which being we've just begun a summer of missions. See, I'm excited too. (laughs) We've just begun this summer of missions. The past couple of weeks, we've talked about missions in the Old Testament. In August, we'll talk about missions in the New Testament. We've got Zoom around the world beginning next week. It'll get better. Man, I just started too. (laughs) Um, And we had a prayer vigil last week devoted to missions. Um, And my prayer throughout this whole summer of missions is that God would use this to inspire us to continue to grow even more in bringing the good news of Jesus to our surrounding neighborhoods here in Chevy Chase, the wider DMV, and certainly to the ends of the earth. And I'm really excited today because we're beginning a sermon series on the Great Commission. You may have noticed we didn't read the Great Commission when um, we, we just had our gospel reading, but throughout... The next few weeks to the end of August we're going to examine and unpack the Great Commission from Matthew 28 piece by piece focusing on a word or a phrase to see what it means how it applies to us today so if you would take your bulletin and flip to the very back cover and that's where the Great Commission is written for you today and I'm going to read it in its entirety for today we may not do this every week but today it seems like a good idea so for Matthew 28 Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Amen. I'm particularly excited about this because the Great Commission has had a major impact in my own personal life. Way back when, when I was in youth group in my junior and senior years of high school, our youth group would go on mission trips to all sorts of various places and get involved in mission projects, service projects, helping the poor, the needy, the homeless, and so on. The Great Commission has comforted me when I felt alone because of Jesus' promise of, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. So knowing I'm not alone is a big deal. And to be perfectly honest, the Great Commission is one of the reasons I felt called to the priesthood to proclaim the gospel of Christ just as I get to do most Sundays while I'm up here. But it's not just about me, of course. The Great Commission has really influenced All Saints Church for quite a number of years. It's why we have a missions committee. It's why we have global and local missions partners. It's why we run a thrift shop, pass out blessing bags, teach Alpha at Knollwood, and have a visitation ministry team. Heck, it's why we have a live stream, a choir, a flower guild, an altar guild, student ministry, and everything else. We want people to know about Jesus, and we want to proclaim that. Heck, the Great Commission is why we had VBS last week. How many of you volunteered last week at VBS in any capacity? Yeah, look around. There's a number of you. From whether you helped set up, clean up, lead a crew group, teach a section, or whatever it was, you helped bring the gospel to 80 children last week. That's the Great Commission at work. But today, we're not going to talk about the whole Great Commission here. We're just going to focus on that first verse, which reads... The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now I'm going to ask a question this morning that I know has been on everybody's heart and mind for years. Why did Jesus bring the disciples to a mountain in Galilee? Anybody else lost sleep over this one? Yeah, why would you, right? Now, I know all of you know how much I love the outdoors. I'm sorry, I misread that, how little I love the outdoors. But in all honesty, I actually really do love mountains. And whether it's, me too, whether it's the Rockies or the foothills or whatever it is, when I compare mountains to, say, something that people have made, like city skylines, it's so clear to me that God's craftsmanship far exceeds anything humanity has ever built. Don't you think? You get the same sense when you look up at the stars. But mountains show off God's power, majesty, and beauty. And I think this is one of the reasons Jesus brought them to this mountain. But I don't think that's the only reason. I think he had more in mind here. And to see what he had in mind, I want to do just a quick survey of several mountains throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, the first mountain we come to is Mount Ararat. This is the mountain on which Noah's Ark came to rest after the great flood. And as a result, it became a place of refuge, of deliverance, of safety. Then, of course, there's Mount Sinai, which when you think of mountains in the Bible, very well might be the first one you think of. This is the mountain where God came down in a fiery cloud to speak with Moses. The rest of the people cowered around the base of the mountain, but God spoke to Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments and all the other laws that would govern Israel's religion and government for years and years to come. Then, of course, we have Mount Zion, the holy mountain on which David built the great city of Jerusalem, the place that would become the center of Israel's religion and worship and government, the place where God himself chose to dwell in the temple and to live with his people. then as we flip into the new testament just looking at the gospel of matthew alone we see that jesus is tempted on a mountain while he's in the wilderness satan takes them to the top of a mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the devil says all of this can be yours jesus if you'll just bow down and worship me of course jesus doesn't do that he quotes scripture and thwarts the devil's plans that day And then shortly thereafter, Jesus goes up a mountain. He sits down and teaches the people, preaching that beautiful sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, right? He teaches them God's will concerning the law, concerning prayer, concerning the kingdom of God, and many other things. And then finally, it's worth mentioning that Jesus used mountains as places of prayer. He would go up on the mountains to be alone with God, his Father, so he could speak to his Father intimately and hear his voice without the distractions of the world around me. Now, there are plenty of other mountains I could mention in the Bible, like Mount Moriah, Mount Carmel, the Mount of Olives, Golgotha, the Mount of Transfiguration. Heck, in my research this week, I found a website of the top ten mountains in the Bible. Did you know there were enough mountains to have a whole top ten? I think you get the point, though. And what we see is that the Bible presents mountains as places of refuge and victory. Places where God conquers evil and protects his people. Mountains are places of teaching and instruction, where God tells his people how to live in holiness and in love. And they're places of God's very presence, where God Almighty comes down to be with people he made in his image haven't any of you ever been on a mountain and felt the presence of God? Yeah, several of you. Just a few months ago, my family and I, we traveled to New Zealand to visit Kimberly's brother who lives there. Um, And he lives in a town called Wanaka, which is just a beautiful place with this huge lake and mountains all around. And he took us on several hikes up these mountains. And as we'd go up and stand there, you could look out and see the whole city, the lake for miles and miles, and even glaciers. And I'll tell you what, man, I could feel the presence of God. Now, it might be because after hiking so far, I thought I was going to die. (laughs) But in all seriousness, there's a reason they call encounters with God mountaintop experiences. Because you can feel his presence there as you stand and look out at his glorious creation. And so I think Jesus does several things by bringing his disciples to this mountain in Galilee, a place of refuge and victory, right after he had defeated Satan, sin, and death through his resurrection. The passage right before this is the resurrection. And immediately after that, he brings them to this mountain. And there he draws them away from all the distractions of the world so that they can bask in his presence and in the presence of God his Father. And then like God had done with Moses, he then gives them a new commandment, a new instruction to take good news out to the whole world. It's not just for Israel anymore, it's for everyone. And he shows them where to begin, right here in Galilee. Galilee is a place where Jesus himself began his mission. And it's where many of the disciples were actually from. And so Jesus is basically saying this new commission should begin right here at home. But it can't end until this message has reached the entire globe. And in doing this, Jesus, as he often does, is giving us an example to follow. The disciples had to climb up this mountain before they could go back down into the world. They had to meet Jesus face to face. They had to hear his voice and learn his instructions. In short, they had to know him before they could go out to make him known. And we need to know him before we can go out to make him known. Like the disciples, we need to climb the mountain. We need to meet with Jesus. We need to hear his voice. We need to continue doing this week after week right here in this building in worship. Whether it's the nave service, the family table service, 830 or whatever, we need to do it. And again, I'll be honest, a lot of times coming here to worship is a mountaintop experience for me. Isn't it for you? Don't you hear Jesus show up periodically or every week? I do. But we also need to go up this mountain and meet with Jesus at home in our families. Through prayer meditation the study of scripture so that having seen him and heard from him we can then go back down and out into the world to proclaim that jesus christ who was crucified but risen again he is lord and we need to proclaim this in our homes our communities our places of work our schools and indeed all around the world wherever god might call us sure he might not call you to the other side of the globe he might. He certainly did for the Rangers, and he's done for many other folks here in this congregation. And as we go out, we want his name on our lips. We want his spirit in our hearts, and his love and compassion directing every single step we take. And that's a perfect transition, because I was going to point to her right here. This young person here, Chloe Lenore Griffin, is about to be baptized. This is calling her into the mission of the gospel. Today, she is being invited to start going up that mountain to meet with Jesus and to see him so that she too, when she is older, can go out and make him known. How cool is that? That Christ is calling a little one like this to do it. He's calling all of us to do it, not just the disciples. But finally, I want to mention one more mountain in scripture, and it comes from the book of Revelation, honestly one of my favorite books of the Bible. There, Saint John has a vision as he stands on top of a very high mountain, and he sees the holy city of Jerusalem, a brand new Mount Zion coming down out of heaven. And this city is full of the glory of God, shining like rare jewels. It has walls of jasper, gates full of precious stones, and streets paved with gold. And here in this new city, there is no temple, there is no sun, there is no moon, because God himself dwells next door to his people, and his glory shines brightly throughout the entire city. This is the place where all the kings of the earth are then drawn so they can offer their own glory and their own honor to Christ who they finally acknowledge to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And this vision of John fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah from hundreds of years before that says, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of all the mountains, It shall be lifted up up above all the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. My dear friends, that's where our journey ends. In the holy city on top of the mountain of the Lord, where we will bask forever and enjoy a true mountaintop experience and the light the warmth, the glory, and the joy of God himself. And there we will experience true hope, true peace, true joy, forever and forever. And until that day, we have the great privilege of directing our families, our friends, our neighbors, our classmates, our co-workers, and even strangers to that glorious mountainous city of God saying, it's over there. Follow that man. He knows the way. Jesus will take you to that hill. So let's do it. Let's climb the mountain now so we can meet our Lord, enjoy his presence, and learn his ways. Let's get to know him so we can go out and make him known, not stopping until all people know the way to his heavenly mountainous city where they too can join us in basking in the light of God's glory and experiencing true peace, true joy, true hope, forever and forevermore. Amen? Amen. Amen.